0: Through You are with us, that your rod and your staff will comfort us, and that you will lead us to places of peace. God, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. We exalt you. We extol you, God. Those are just fancy words to say we appreciate you. And so, God, we pray right now that you would speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us, that you would grow us, and that you would also give us joy. God, we thank you. And We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. amen, And amen. Can we uh, just real quickly give God some praise? If for nothing else, just because we had two of the cutest babies I have ever seen in my life. I always tell people, that's one way to grow a church. We'll just keep making babies, and the church will grow. Well, if this is your first time with us, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. My name is Lamar. I'm the lead pastor here, amongst so many other wonderful pastors and elders and leaders of this church. And so on behalf of them, I just want to say thank you for joining us. If this is your first, maybe second or third time, maybe you've been with us and never filled out a card, in front of the seat in front of you, there's something called a connection card. And so I ask you to fill that out, give us a little bit of information about you, and then on your way out where it says Next Steps in the back, you can drop that off and somebody will be there to greet you just to welcome you and to give you a free gift just to show you how much we appreciate you for joining us on Sunday. I understand there are plenty of awesome churches to worship in the Tri-Cities area. I think that we're one of the best, and so I'm grateful that you chose to take time out of your busy schedule to join us, and we just want to appreciate you by giving you a gift. Uh, real quick before I jump into today's uh, message, uh, if you signed up, uh, we are in the process of uh, becoming a more uh, inclusive church of those people with disabilities and special needs. And so there's some training uh, that we need to do. And remember, we raised an offering and a big give, and we dedicated a portion of that uh, to begin this special needs and disability ministry. If you signed up for the conference that is happening this Saturday, at Mount Parent. If you signed up for that, if you emailed me or if you went on the website and registered, I need to see you after church for a few minutes so that I can make sure I get all your information and give you instruction uh, on how to get there and some other important things that you need to know. So if you will give me about 15 minutes after service, let's just meet down here front so that I can get some information from you and make sure that you know uh, how to get there, uh, how to get into the building and all of those things that you'll need to know to get there. I'll be there before you because I'm uh, presenting And so I just need you to know how to get there and how to get in. So meet me after uh, service. All right, let's jump into today. If this is your first time with us, this is a great time to join us because we are in week one of a new series called Epic Church. Uh, And so we want to take some time to look at the life of the church. You remember uh, that we talked about at the beginning of this year, our theme as a church this year is stronger. And so we just finished a series called Stronger. Let me just ask you real quick, how many of you did that series bless you in any way? So so if you haven't been able to listen to that, you can do this right now. Go to your smartphone if you have one. Uh, Go to your app store, search TRI-Cities Church. Download our mobile app. You can get that mobile app. It's completely free. And you can go and listen to all of those messages from the Stronger series. And so that series was designed to sort of help us as individuals learn how we can become stronger. Epic Church is more about us as a church, as a family, as a collection, to sort of see what God can do with us and how God can make us stronger as a church, stronger in our witness. So here's what I'm going to give you because this series... Uh, I'm going to put on my my Dr. L hat. Last year I was Pastor L. I'm going to put on my Dr. hat because I'm going to do a lot of teaching. I'm going to take you to to school and give you a little bit of church history and make sure you know that you stand in a legacy of a line of people who did this for thousands of years so that we can be where we are. Most of us don't even realize that Christianity didn't start in East Point. (laughs) It started thousands of years ago, and we stand in a long line of an epic story. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you homework because every week I'm going to challenge you to read through the book of Acts with me, because this series, we are going to journey through the book of Acts. So starting today or tomorrow, I want you to read, write this down for my note takers, chapters 1 through 5, chapters 1 through 5, because I'm going to preach through the book of Acts, but I can't preach everything, and so I'm going to highlight some things that are important for you to know about the church, but I'm going to depend on you to do your homework. To read every week, we'll have some reading that we want you to do. Just a chapter a day. That'll be good because it'll help you to get through uh, all 28 books of Acts and so, or chapters rather. So this week, start uh, ver- chapters one through five. All right. So let's jump into it because uh, this whole thing about being epic. Most of you all know what epic is. It is. Uh, it's, it's a literary genre. So most of us grew up in school. And we had to read. Uh, the epics we had to read that but really the definition is something that's large and vastly important something that is big and I don't know if you knew this but the church is huge it is something that Jesus predicted thousands of years ago that he would begin uh, to build and I don't know if you knew this that when he said that he was going to build his church he actually meant it that thousands of years ago he made a prediction and a promise. You remember this. this, is Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19. He says this after he asks his, his crew, what are people saying about me on the street? What's the word on the street? And they said, you know, some people say you're like Elijah. Some people say you're like John the Baptist. And then Peter, remember Peter, uh, he piped up and said, you know, I think that you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus made a bold promise and prediction. He says, I'm going to build my church, the word that he uses in in Greek is ekklesia. It literally means gathering. It was one of those things where uh, they sort of knew what he was talking about because uh, in Rome and in, in Greece, they would call together these gatherings of people who would come from different provinces and different regions, and they would represent their region. And so they were called out to represent something bigger than themselves. And Jesus says, you know how the Romans do that? You know how the Greeks do that? They call people out, and they represent something bigger than themselves? He says, yeah, those those gatherings, I'm going to build one for myself. I'm going to build myself a gathering. I'm going to build myself a church, and the foundation of it is going to be that I am the son of the living God. He says, I'm going to build something, and he made a bold prediction and a promise that nothing will be able to stop the church. Did you catch what he says? And the gates of hell itself that's good right there. Because if you're a part of his church, that means that no matter what you go through in your life, you're going to go through some ups and some downs. But he made a promise and a prediction that you and I, as his church, will remain undefeated. There is nothing that can stop his church. You realize this, that for thousands of years they were they were murdering Christians. They were hanging them on crosses upside down and boiling them in oil and feeding them to lions. But Jesus was bold enough and bad enough to say, I'm going to build my own thing and even Hell can't stop it. He says, I'm going to build my church. So you need to know something about what Jesus is building. So I just want to take you, this might be elementary for some of you, and, and maybe for some of you who are Bible scholars and historians, you already know this, just just humor me, but I think we sort of need to know this epic story of the church. So let me just give you a few things about the church before we jump in to the book of Acts. Number one, here's what I want you to know, the church is the gathering together of those who have responded to the call to follow Jesus. Yeah, that, that's us, we have responded to this call to follow Jesus, that means that we are the church, that the church is not a building. The church has always been a people. And it's the gathering together of those who have responded to the call to follow Jesus. That's literally what the church is. And and the church has two primary expressions. This is sort of ancient wisdom. We don't really think of it in terms uh, of this, like in this day, but the church had two primary expressions. There was the church visible, that's y'all, that's us, that's Thus, here on earth that are doing what God has called us to do but then there's also in the ancient days they considered the church invisible that's the group of people who died in Christ you remember Paul in Hebrews he says that we ought to run this race because we have a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith they consider that if you died in Christ if you're a part of the church you were still a part of the church just because you left here doesn't mean you're not a part of the church and so for them there was a church visible that's us you can see us we can do everything that God has called us to do. And then there's a church invisible. That's the saints that have gone on to heaven that are continuing to cheer us on and they continue to encourage us in the life of faith. And so those are the two expressions of the church. Can I say this? From the outset, the church was not a building, but it was constantly being built by Jesus and constantly building people. Okay, I need to say that again because many of us, we grew up in church and church has become uh, a meeting. But when Jesus says, I'm building my church, he never meant that I'm building a building, and he never meant that I was building a meeting. He says, I'm building my church. In other words, this is not just a meeting, it's a movement. And he says that the church is not a building, but it's constantly being built. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the only thing that Jesus has been doing since he ascended back to heaven is building his church. He says I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm getting everything ready and I'm building my church because the church I don't know if you remember this in the verse I just read has the keys to the kingdom. That means if anybody is going to access the kingdom, it's on the church. There was no plan B. Jesus put all his eggs in this basket. That's why we got to take this thing more seriously because the government doesn't have the keys to the kingdom. The school system doesn't have the keys to the kingdom. And Hollywood, sure as heck, don't have the keys to the kingdom. If anybody is going to get into the kingdom, Jesus says, I'm leaving the keys with the church. We are responsible for making sure that people know who Jesus is. He says this is not a building but I'm building it and then I want you to go out and I want you to build people there are three three basic building blocks of the church you got to understand this I know this might be boring for some of you but we need to ground ourselves in the history of the church there are three basic building blocks of the church when you see what Jesus talks about after he makes his declaration the first thing that he talks about a lot when he's talking about building his church is number 1 there has to be unity that the church has to be unified Number two, the church is universal. That means that this is not just the church, that Tri-Cities isn't the church. We are a church, but we are not the church. The church spans the globe. It is the thing that Jesus is building and is universal and is anchored on one thing, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the risen Savior. That's the church. Then he says there's perpetuity. That means it's just a fancy word that, that means that it lasts longer. So maybe I can... Break it down to you for those who don't understand those big words. Let me just say it like this. The church is bigger than me. The church is broader than our building. And the church goes beyond my generation. That this thing Jesus says, I'm building, and it is, watch this, the only organization that has no end. Yeah, the stuff that you love. Yeah, one day uh Apple's going to go away. I love my iPhone, but one day it's going to go away. One day your gym is going to cease to exist. One day the school that you went to is going to cease to exist. You know the only thing that will not cease to exist, the only organization that has a long-lasting eternal impact that will never go away until Jesus comes back, the church. If you're going to invest your time in anything, invest in something that's going to last forever. And so Understand that the church is bigger than me. It's, it's broader than our building and it's beyond our generation. And maybe there's some things about church history that you need to know that perhaps maybe nobody ever told you. And how, how do we get to where we are right now? Can I just say this? Early Christians, they didn't give a lot of thought to institutions or organizations until around the time you start to see in the book of Acts where it says that the Greek widows and the Jewish widows weren't getting fed and there was an altercation. They realized we got to start getting organized. Then you can see that the word church, honestly, in the Gospels only appears twice. And eventually the church recognized the need to become organized. Check this out. This is a trip. In 96 A.D., Clement of Rome wrote a a letter to the Church of Corinth advocating for classes within the church. It was almost like the culture started to seep into the church. And what ended up happening because of that. It's the reason why some of the churches that we know of today struggle because when he said that, it ended up in two different classes in the church. You know where I'm going. There was clergy and there was laity. There were people who supposedly had special influence and knowledge, people like me, people who who read the Bible, who told you what to believe, and then there were people who, but here's the problem with that, is that along the way, we stopped believing the idea that every member is a minister. That the church doesn't belong. Okay, I told this story uh, I, probably before, and, and if, if you heard it, just just laugh like it's the first time you heard it. We got new people. Just laugh. So, so, so uh, most of you all know I spent time as a hospice chaplain, uh, and one of the things I had to do is I had to go in and do assessments uh, for new families to find out what we needed to do to take care of them. Uh, What spiritual resources can we use to help you? Do you love singing, scripture reading? Uh, Some families I used to go in and just sing hymns with them. Whatever it is, do I need to serve you communion? And one of the things I had to find out was, do you have a church home? Is there a church that you belong to that I can partner with to make sure your spiritual needs are met? And I remember visiting an elderly couple. The wife had uh, life-limiting cancer, and I went in. They were probably in their mid-80s, upper 80s. uh, And I went in and asked them, "Uh, okay, do you have a church that you belong to, and he gave the name of the church, and it was somebody that I knew, somebody I had met through my work there in that community, and I said, oh, uh, you're a member of John Martin's church, and the wise old man looked at me and said, young man, John John Martin's a member of my church, okay, so some of y'all dismissed that, because what he was saying was, watch this, pastors are going to come and go, we we love y'all, and I hope you love me, but Come on, let's be honest. I'm not your first pastor. You've had many pastors. You've moved, you've had different pastors move. He said, "But but the church is is ours because the church belongs to the people." Some of y'all dismissed that. I wonder what would happen If we all took responsibility for understanding that there is no division of labor, that it's not just up to the pastors and the elders and the key volunteers, I wonder what would happen if we had the same mentality as this man and said, you know what, this is my church. I love my church. I'm going to serve my church. I'm going to give to my church. Because along the way, someone taught us to believe that the really important stuff that needed to be done in church could only be done by a few people. And so you got to understand that there's a history. That's the reason why we struggle with that, because someone told us, but Jesus didn't build that. I don't know if you also knew this in in church history, that uh, clergy and laity began to cause division in the church. And then most of you know this. You've been in history class. Around 13, uh, 313 A.D., Constantine legalized freedom of religion. Some of us say he legalized Christianity. He really legalized freedom of religion, what made Christianity hot was Constantine became a Christian. You remember that. Some people say uh, that he was sort of just covering all his bases on his deathbed. Like, I don't know. I'm not here to judge him, but he kind of just converted to every religion just to make sure, like, one of y'all is right. I'm going to get in there with one of y'all. So he became a Christian, and here's what happened. He got baptized, and as soon as the emperor became a Christian, Christianity, it became hot. It got a little bit of credibility. It got a little bit of cash, and then they started building these big old buildings called basilicas and here's where the church took a turn because once you build a building remember I said the church is not a building we need a building we need somewhere to meet but it's not a building but once you start building big buildings guess what you got to do you got to feed that beast and all of a sudden the church became more of an incorporation than it was a movement because now i got this big building, and so we gotta, we got to make sure that we pay the mortgage, and we got to make sure that we pay this. You know, you remember James, in James chapter 5, he says, don't treat people that have more money, don't sit them down front. You know why he was saying that? Because the church started to become a place where favors were played because we need your money, and so you get to have the best seat in the house because we know you give the most money to the church. Some of y'all didn't realize that. That's why some of the struggle that we have today. Okay, let me, let me just give you one more piece of history so you can understand the movement of the church. Because remember I said that Jesus said that I'm building my church. That word is ecclesy. It is gathering. Uh, and because they were building big buildings uh, and they, didn't want it to, they, they wanted to make sure that they continue to feed the beast. Did you know that they actually literally in the Bible when it was translated, they translated the word gathering to church. Which, by the way, is a German word that just meant house of worship. It wasn't even a particularly Christian word. And they did that because the focus had to shift from it being about the people to it being about a place because we got to keep the place up. And then along comes a guy named William. Tyndale, who in 1522 wanted to translate the Bible into English for the common people because remember there's a special group of people who know how to teach you and so in those days only people like me would be able to even read the Bible and it was my job to tell you. That's why I said read Acts 1-5 through for yourself. Don't just depend on what I tell you because the church in the old ancient days taught people you're not smart enough to understand what it means so let me do that for you. And Tyndale came along and said, no, I want to I translate this into English for common people who can understand it. We don't understand Latin and Aramaic and Greek. Let's translate it. And Tyndale actually went in, and every place that they had changed it from gathering to church, he changed it back to gathering. And he put the focus, watch this, off of buildings and back on the people. You want to know what they did to your boy Tyndale? The church got a hold of him. And executed him by burning him. Yeah, church folks did that. You know what's crazy? Out of all of the ups and downs of the church, out of all the things that the church could be considered being guilty of, up until the 17th century, listen to this, people were being killed in the first century. There are all sorts of things going on in the church. The church was even... uh, The group that perpetuated some awful stuff. But up until the 17th century, no one, watch this, considered the idea of following Jesus and not belonging to a church. That's almost a new thing. Why am I saying that? Because the whole point of this series is I want you to understand the importance of the church because it is a Western idea that I can be a Christian and not belong to the church. That as awful as it was for the first century and for all of the things that Christians had to deal with, as awful as it was, people were being killed and thrown in vats of oil and boiled alive. People were being crucified upside down. People were being killed and thrown to lions. Out of all the awful stuff that the church had to endure, no one ever thought of leaving the church. It was just not something That they could ever comprehend. Why do I say that? Because I told you this year, if you're going to make any kind of commitment, if you're going to make any kind of resolution, if you're going to get any any bit stronger than what you are, make this a priority. Because what you're dealing with, I'm willing to bet, is not as half as bad as what the early church had to deal with. And it never once crossed their mind that I can claim to follow Christ and not be committed to a gathering of believers. It is what they did. They were dedicated to it. So can I just, barring vacation and barring things that you cannot help, barring things that you cannot control, can I encourage you again, make this a priority. People died for us to be able to do what we're doing. Then this takes us to the book of Acts, one of the books that really encapsulates the birth of the church. You know the book of Acts, Luke was a, the gospel writer for Luke, and he also wrote Acts. It was really two volumes of the same book, and he wrote it because he was setting out to set the record straight. Luke wasn't a follower of Jesus. He really had no fight no dog in this fight. It wasn't like he was trying to influence Luke. was a doctor. He was a physician. And when you read it, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus, and he's doing it so that he can get the record straight. All I want to do is learn about this guy named Jesus and give you some facts to help you make a decision. And Luke writes Acts because he wants to see how did this church thing work. So here's what you got to understand. When Luke writes the book of Acts, he travels around. That's why when you read it, you'll read it when you go through the chapters. Sometimes he says, and we were there, and we did this, and sometimes he says, and they did that, and they did this. Because Luke spent time traveling with Paul and Barnabas and Silas, and he got a large enough sample of the church so that he could go back and write his letter about this is why this thing worked. Have you ever asked yourself this question? How do you even know who Jesus is? Come on now, let's think about it. We're in East Point, Georgia, worshiping Jesus in a place that's thousands of miles away from where that stuff happened, in a place where most of us will never visit in our lifetime, thousands of years away from the events that actually occurred, and the people who were trying to spread this message were being killed off daily. How do you even know who Jesus is? Christianity should have never even made it out of the first century. And Luke says, I'm going to tell you why it worked, because I traveled with them and I got to observe, and I saw what happened. And so uh, today I want to give you one of the main ingredients to why the church actually worked. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. I'm going to do a little bit of skipping around. Make sure you do your homework. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. I think I may have only given them seven on the slides, but I'm going to read eight anyway. Check out what Luke says. Once, when he was eating with them, he meaning Jesus... After he resurrected and he spent uh, 50 days, remember, he walked around for 40 days. And then he says he, he was eating with them. He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Anyway, mind your business. Y'all, y'all seen the little girl in the car seat who was buckling her seatbelt? You remember that on, on Facebook? Worry about yourself. <laughs> but then he says, Here, here's, a, here's a, the ingredient for the birth of the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Here's Luke's secret sauce. Why did it work? He says, because in the beginning, Jesus says, don't you dare jump out there until you receive the gift called the Holy Spirit. You know what's crazy is that they were sorta of already doing the work. You remember they traveled with Jesus for three years. They were preaching this kingdom of God thing. They he got resur- he got executed and he was buried and they ran away and then he started showing up again and, and then all of a sudden they had their hope back and they were sorta of already. Doing this work, but Jesus made a promise over in the Gospel of John, I believe, chapters 15, 16, and 17, where He starts to talk about, "I got to go away because someone's going to come. It's it's the Holy Spirit. It's it's the Comforter. It's going to come, and when it comes, it's going to give you what you need to extend this mission." Here's what 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 me out: is they were sort of already doing the work. Why, Why do they feel the need to wait around? You know what I think? I think perhaps. They were curious as to what this gift was going to be able to give them the power to do. Okay, can I just, can I just, some of us as a church, and I say church universal, not just Tri-Cities Church, I think we've lost our sense of curiosity, our sense of imagination, because they already knew how to do what they were already doing. The message was already going out. They were doing their thing. But Jesus says... There's something else I need you to do. There's something bigger I need you to do. There's something that you're going to need a special power. You're going to need the Holy Spirit for what I'm getting ready to call you to do because it's not going to be like it was before. And so if you're going to do anything, wait until you receive the gift. And I believe they waited in that room because they were just curious enough to think what could God do if we won't if we waited on the Holy Spirit to come and we were able to do what God is calling us to do. Okay, Somebody You, your problem why God is not doing enough through you is because you stop being nosy. I told you I'm nosy when it comes. I want to know. Watch this. What could God do through me if I was fully committed? Yeah, I'm curious. What could God actually do with us as a church if we if we stop? playing church if we stopped making this something that was convenient what could God actually do through us if church was more than just a consumeristic endeavor where we just come to get ours what could God do with us if we were fully committed and fully what could God do with your marriage think about that what could God do in your finances what could God do in this community what could God do if I actually tapped into this gift that he promised that he would have because he says what I'm calling you to do is going to require some power Am I the only one in here that knows I need power to survive this world. I need the Holy Spirit to survive my job. I need the Holy Spirit to help me make good decisions. I need the Holy Spirit so I can be a better father. I need the Holy Spirit so we can go out and do And they were just curious enough to wait around because whatever God had in store was bigger than what they've already accomplished. Okay, I want to make an announcement for you. What God has in store for us as a church is bigger than what we've already accomplished. And I'm just curious enough and nosy enough to want to hang out and let God empower us to do something incredible how many poor people could we feed if we were curious enough how many people could we help how many marriages could be healed how many grieving people could come to the doors and get what they need if we hold on to the fact that God made a promise that I'm going to build something and what I'm calling you to build is going to require some power he says don't you dare jump out there until you get the power. I got to tell you, I'm curious. And one of the reasons why I continue to push us, and maybe, maybe I'm a little bit pushy, maybe I lean on you too much. But you want to know why I continue to push us to do better and to grow and to get stronger? Because I'm curious. What could it look like if you were fully submitted to God's will for your life? I don't know about you, but I already know what I can accomplish on my own. I did all that before I met Jesus. I I got as much out of my life that I was ever going to get without him. And now that I have him, why wouldn't I be curious as to what he could actually do through me when I stop playing and finally give him all of me? He says, you need this power because what I'm calling you to do is bigger than what you've ever experienced in your life. I love, if you notice, he says that I'm going to give you power. Did you catch this out? He says, he says, I'm going to give you power, watch this, and you will be my worshipers. That ain't what, maybe I got a different version. Let me read that again. He says, the power that I'm about to give you, oh, there it is, and you will be my witnesses. Whew, because haven't we made church just about worship? And I love it, and we got one of the best praise teams and best crews of sound. We, we do a great job, but Jesus didn't say that the power was for you just to worship. The power that I'm giving you is so that you as a church can go out and be witnesses. If we're going to be the church that Jesus said he's building, we've got to go out and continue to be Witnesses, not just worshipers. That means that come here, worship, it should make you feel better. It should draw you closer to God, but the power was not just for you to worship. The power was for us to be witnesses. Okay, let me give you just a couple of examples uh, real quick before we finish up of how I see this power working out. Remember, you got to do your homework because I'm not going to teach all through chapters one through five, but there's at least three distinct things that I see the Holy Spirit doing in the book of Acts that helped us. He gave them Power, watch this, to engage culture. Acts chapter 2, verse 7 through 12. Remember when the Holy Spirit came and said they began to speak in other languages that they didn't know. Here's what it says. That Luke says that, that the people were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here they are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phygra, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What could this mean, they asked each other. If you go on to read, it says that some people said uh, that's because they're drunk. But Peter said, man, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. The liquor store ain't even open yet. <laughs> but did you notice one of the first things that the Holy Spirit did as it began to build Jesus' church was it gave the church the ability to engage people in a language they understood. Okay, now I'm going to get technical because haven't we as a church been one of the last organizations to learn how to move on and update and engage culture and yes we should have some things that we hold dear yes there are some bedrocks and foundations of our faith but why is it that the church is always the last to learn how to engage the culture and speak in a language that people understand And if you want to know why the church is not working, it's because that we forgot we've got the power to engage our culture. See, most of us have been taught, and there's some truth to it, that we need to retreat from certain things that culture. But Jesus never called us to run away from the culture. He called us to engage. And some of us need to learn that there are some things that we just need to learn how to update. The church, watch this, should be the incubator for all things creative. Why is it that the church is the last institution and organization that knows how to be creative in reaching people? You know why you got an iPhone? And if you don't, I'm going to pray for you. But anyway, (laughs) because Apple is creative in evangelizing their product. And while Jesus is not a product, everybody else knows how to get you on their side. And the church has fallen behind because we're speaking a language that people don't understand. And the power that the Holy Spirit gave, it says, these people, they don't even know our language, but they're speaking our language. They're, they're talking in a way that makes sense to me. That, that Remember I said a part of our vision, that first quadrant is lack of understanding leads to no faith. Maybe if we stop using a bunch of Christianese and stuff that people don't understand, maybe people will come to faith. Maybe there's at least 25% of the people that you know will come to Christ, but we as a church have made it too hard to understand. That means that we're going to be on the edge of culture and engaging culture, we got to be up on the times with our technology. we got to be up on the times with what's going on. you got to have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. you got to know what's going on in your community. Watch the news. What's going on? Watch this. Know the questions that people are asking. The church is notorious for answering questions that nobody's asking. And the power said... Here's a bunch of people who are different from you. I'm going to give you the power to reach them and engage them in their culture where they are. The church has retreated from being, can can I just tell you why? Because the church should be the most creative organization in the world because we serve the creator. How is it that everybody else is doing better at stuff that we should be leading the way in? He says the power so that you can engage culture. They were... They were inspired because finally there were some people talking this God stuff that learned how to speak the language of the people. A lot of times the church has become irrelevant because we're not talking about the stuff that people who are not here want to talk about. He says, you know what the power of the Holy Spirit did? It gave them the ability to reach their community, to give them. So that means that we've got we to look at how we update our technology. we got to look at how we update our spaces. we got to look up how we update our language. I'm not suggesting that we go away from anything from the Bible. If you know anything about me, I am a Bible guy. But the Holy Spirit didn't come for us to do the same old thing week after week, month after month, year after year. If we're going to reach our community for Christ, we've got to know what do we need to be doing to engage our culture. First thing you see the Holy Spirit do is it helps them to engage culture. Here's the other thing that I sort of picked on on as Jesus is building his church in the early days when the church was born. The Holy Spirit watched his inspired collaboration. Acts two, seventeen and eighteen. He says, In the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants. Men and women alike, they will prophesy. This was, remember, Peter had to give an answer for how all these people knew this stuff. They thought they were drunk. He says, no, what's happening here is what the prophet Joel prophesied in Joel 2, verse 28. He says that God said in the last days he's going to pour out his spirit, watch this, in all genders... And all generations, all cultures, and all conditions were working together so that the gospel could be preached. He said men and women, children, you catch that? Young and old, men and women, everybody from every culture, everybody from every condition. They all came together, and the Holy Spirit, watch this, it inspired collaboration. We cannot do this if we just continue to be a bunch of individuals who are here to get ours, get our word, get our worship. When the Holy Spirit came and the church really started being built, he brought people together from different generations, from different genders, from different cultures, from different conditions. And he gave them the power to have one goal, one focus. We are all about preaching the gospel. And he inspired us to stop. Watch this. I'm just, okay, bowling ball. Shine it up. Let me, let me bowl. The Holy Spirit inspired us. Watch this. He inspired the first church to stop being selfish. Because I, they were still able to keep, I want you to notice this, that it was, it was unity without uniformity. That's what's so beautiful about this diverse church, that you can come and still be who you are with your culture, who you are, be who God created you to be. Here's what the beauty of the Holy Spirit, here's the power that many of us who would never have anything to do with one another because the world says we shouldn't be together, the Holy Spirit working in us gives us the power to work together. And you don't have to stop being who you are. When you become a Christian, that's why I love Christianity because every other religion, they try to make you something that you're not. God says, I don't need you to be what I didn't create you to be. Here's what I want you to do. All generations, all genders, all conditions, all cultures, here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. It's going to give you the power to work together. You want to know when the church is strong? When everybody does their part. You know what's beautiful about a few weeks ago when we did the, the nacho bar, some of y'all missed it, didn't even see that. It, it was a uh, uh, illustration of here's what happens when everybody brings their part. Some of y'all dismissed it, I, I, I okie dokie. I said, bring something. We, we're gonna take care of certain things, but it, but but you need to bring this. If you're in this group, bring this. If you're in that group, bring this. And we had an incredible party. Because everybody was committed to doing their part. What would happen if we allow the Holy Spirit to inspire us to work together so that the gospel can be preached? everybody just needs to bring their little part. Bring what, you, what God has gifted you to do. Bring. That's why we said get in growth track. And it's going to come back around. If you miss it, we're going to bring it back around. But that's why we're doing it so you know, what do I have to bring to the church? Because we need to collaborate. If we're going to turn the Tri-Cities area upside down for Jesus, everybody's got to be willing to bring what they have. And the Holy Spirit inspired collaboration. Okay, here's the last thing. Here's the last thing that I see in the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit created community. Acts two, verse forty-one through forty-seven. Check this out: those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about three thousand in all. Woo! We don't like big church, but the first church was big. Now I don't have a three thousand member sermon. But I am curious as to what God can create when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead the way. Listen to what he says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold all their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple each day, Made their homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved the Holy Spirit started to create a community did you catch that it says that they began to meet not just in church but they met in homes in other words when the Holy Spirit showed up it gave them power to not just come together for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday but they really did life together it's hard to walk away from your church when you got roots When there's people who know you, who knows your birthday, your anniversary, know them with your children, they know when you're sick. I tell people all the time, your group should be the first people who show up when you're in the hospital. Because if I show up, you know it's bad. (laughs) I'm I'm joking. I'll show up, but if the pastor shows up, you know it's only a couple months from now. But the first people who showed up in times of crisis were the people that they did life with because church for them wasn't just about a meeting, it was a movement. And the Holy Spirit gave them the power to become a community. It's not just about us meeting every Sunday, it's about me knowing you. And you knowing me it is to be known by a group of people who I can call family. That's why our, our vision is to be a place where people can build their faith where they can belong to a family, and where we can be the church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for this moment to be able to just reflect on the birth of the church and what it means and how the Holy Spirit was the essential ingredient for making the church epic. And so, God, we pray that As we study as a family through this book, help us to see the places where the Holy Spirit inspired the early church to do things that may have been a little bit uncomfortable, may have been new, may have been something that drew them out of their comfort zone, but help us to understand that the essential ingredient for building and being the type of church that Jesus is building is to have the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And so God, I pray right now, that you would just give us a sense of your power. Give us a sense of your spirit. Help each one of us to see how you're working. And God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in the lives of the people in our church, God, that you would restore marriages, that you would help people who are struggling, God, that you would give comfort to those who are unemployed, that, God, that you would do everything that you need to do because the Holy Spirit is the essential ingredient for us becoming everything that you need us to be. And God, I'm just nosy enough to want to know what it would look like if I finally gave you everything that I had and gave everything that I had to your church, I'm just curious enough to know, to want to know what would that look like? How many people can we reach? How many people could be baptized? How many people could we feed? How many different ways could we make an economic impact on this community? How many ways can we help children in the foster care? How many ways can we help people with food insecurity, God? I'm just curious and I'm nosy. Holy Spirit, come because I want to know what it is that you can do through us we submit to you. God, I thank you and I love you for what you've already done. Take us to new heights. Help us to be a part of this epic story that you wrote thousands of years ago when, Jesus, you said you were building your church. God, we love you. We thank you and we worship you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.